right, folks, we're back. Coach Roll Coaching Podcast, number 002. And today we're talking to Abbas Rongwala. Abbas, nice to see you, my friend. How are you doing, David? I'm good, sir. How are you doing? I'm great. It's a beautiful Sunday morning. I'm excited. It's great. Okay. Well, hey, um, why don't why don't we just start off and uh, introduce yourself to the team here uh, that's on this phone, video, mobile, whatever they're on, right? Watching this podcast. Awesome. So, good morning, good good afternoon, uh, good day, everyone. Uh, my name, as they mentioned, is Abbas Rangwala. I work. I've been working as a SC leader uh, for the past seven years now spend my life in customer service uh, i've been an agent on the phone i've been a, a team lead in a contact center i've built contact centers i've managed contact centers uh, in a past life i used to work at bell um, which is one of the largest telcos in, in canada where i would make business decisions so i would be the one who's buying software and then some friends convinced me to go to salesforce which was a fun time and i started selling to contact centers over there and then from salesforce i moved to service now so being in the industry uh, for a little bit over 20, 21 years, uh, live in Toronto, Ontario, father of two awesome boys, uh, spouse, son, <laughs> wear multiple hats, um, lost my hair trying to do stuff that we'll talk about a little bit later on in the podcast. Uh, but, but essentially, that's me, Dave. Okay, uh, we definitely need to talk about how you lost your hair. Um, I wasn't going to mention it, but uh, <laughs> since you brought it up, well, uh, Abbas, not here, so I, 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 I always say I lost it after I got married, so I blame her. <laughs> but... <laughs> All right, that possibly needs editing out. But if you disappear for any reason uh, after this podcast, we know why. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Abbas, for that introduction. And, you know, folks, uh, Abbas and I, we've worked together for a number of years. But, uh, you know, even after he, he moved on to a, another organization, we've stayed in contact. Uh, he's someone I really respect, a, a leader I really respect, and more so his values and his philosophies around leadership. And uh, we want to share uh, share a little bit about that, about you uh, today, Abbas. So let's get started. Um and I, I want to talk a little bit about you and let folks know who Abbas Rangwala is uh, to, to get started. And, uh, you know, I, I sent you some questions uh, before we hopped on here to uh, get have folks understand a little bit more about you. So I'm just going to cho choose one out of the hat. And the question was, do you have a crazy but true fact about yourself? And you wrote, I know hypnotism. Explain that, sir. So I grew up in um, Mumbai, India. And uh, as I was going through college, I had this uh, blessing of being in, in this weird group of people who had very eclectic tastes. So one of them was really into um, yoga and hypnotism for whatever reason. So... You know, she was like, hey, I'm, I, I'm learning hypnotism. Do you want to learn hypnotism along with me? And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. So I've learned hypnotism. I'm a clinical hypnotist. I cannot hypnotize you by looking in your eyes, Dave, so you can keep looking at me. You, you're safe. I'm hypnotized right now. Does that count? 
<laughs> but uh, it's it's just been awesome. So um, there are a couple of myths about. I'll I'll tell you a quick story about 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 that. So a few years back, when my kids were younger, we were sitting in um, you know in a parents teacher kind of a meeting. It was a meeting on Friday, and they they asked all the parents to go around the table and talk a little bit about and say something about themselves. So we all did the sharing. It was all great. On Monday, when I go to the school and I, I just say good morning, whatever, to the other parents, they don't look me in the eye. They're like looking away from me. And I'm like, this seems weird. It happened with two or three parents till I realized that on Friday, I told them that I know hypnotism. And they literally thought I could hypnotize them by looking in their eyes. So it's a myth. You cannot hypnotize someone by looking in the eyes. I'm, I'm not a stage hypnotist, uh, but I am a clinical hypnotist. Okay, I, I do want to dive into that one, my friend. So um, apart from make me cluck like a chicken right now, uh-huh. right, and pretend I'm in the ocean swimming, uh, what does being a cl- clinical hypnotist mean? So essentially, and again, like I'm not certified or anything like that, right? So I don't want to pretend to be an expert in that. Um, but essentially, it allows people to go into this really deep state of calmness uh, where um, essentially everything sort of slows down a little bit, right? And you start listening to the signals that your body's sending, you start listening, your thoughts become a little more clear. So I'm essentially someone who facilitates. So for example, if you were coming to me, Dave, I would facilitate you getting into the state of relaxation and, and calmness, uh, A, which could help you deal with the everyday stress of, of living. And we all go through different stresses at, you know, at work, at home, and so on. But also if you're trying to get clarity around a big decision, it really helps you with that. So if you're sort of struggling with a couple of things, you know, like Sherlock Holmes, when he was struggling with a with a difficult case, would go and see the opera or would play, play the violin. Something which allows the brain to do something else. And while your conscious brain is doing something else, your subconscious brain is tweaking and turning and, and, and figuring stuff out for you. So hypnotism, at least the way I, I sort of do it, allows you to go, get into the state where you allow your brain to do some of the work that it does anyways, uh, but mm. get more clarity to your thought process. Okay. I, I think I'm having some understanding and I, I might be butchering this, but what, you know, one of the things that uh, in the last few years that I, I've actually tried to do more of, uh, not tried, I actually did more of is, is go for really long walks, mm-hmm. especially early, early in the morning. And, you know, you know, apart from the benefits of getting sunlight and, and great air is that, it's amazing the problems that mm-hmm. uh, solutions, the problems that suddenly just come to me when I'm not thinking about it, right? I'd solve two or three key problems that's been bother- bothering me on, you know, an hour to two hour walk. And, and I, w- I was thinking about it consciously before mm-hmm. the walk, but during the walk, basically near the end, right? When I'm just in this flow, yeah, I'm solved. I solved the problem. Like, uh-huh. And I, I hurry up and write it down somewhere so that I don't forget. I mean, is that sort of the thing you're talking about there? That's totally, that's totally it. Like a lot of my, my team, when they come to me and they're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I'm like, okay, go, go take a walk or go, you know, go for a shower, right? Like the shower ferry is real because when you're mm-hmm. sort of not. And again, our subconscious brain is so much more powerful than we give it credit for, right? So even while you're not consciously thinking about it, you're in the flow, as you said, you're walking around, you're, do, you're doing whatever, you're playing, to, you're playing music, you're listening to something, the subconscious is, is turning and tweaking. 
And the trick is for your conscious brain, when it when your subconscious arrives at the decision, for your conscious brain to recognize that and pick that decision up. So exactly to your point, like sometimes the ideas and the solution will come to you, but you won't even think about it and then you'll forget it, right? So to your point where, hey, I, I quickly write it down, like you need to be conscious enough to sort of know this is the solution versus, hey, I got this idea, but damn, I, I can't remember it. It was the most brilliant idea ever, but I've forgotten it now. Mm, yeah. Well, well, we'll, we'll jump back into this one a little bit later. Hopefully we have some time. Um, I mm -hmm. do want to talk about that and your opinion around this. Um, but I, I do, uh, just in my years knowing you, I do, this reminds me like you're, you're a very pragmatic individual, right? But at the same time, I, there's a, a spiritual side to you, right? And I recall it. I, I, did you ever do this? You, you talked about being in some, monastery somewhere where you didn't <laughs> talk for 30, day, 30 days or 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, what was it's that not, about? It's, it's not far from Toronto. It's near Barrie, actually. So if you go north from Toronto, maybe an hour north. Lots of quiet away. people there. Yeah. 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 So it's called Vipassana. And essentially, it's a 10-day silence fast. So you take a vow of silence for 10 days, and there's absolutely no communication allowed. You're, like you, you are in a group. But you can't even acknowledge each other. You can't nod. You can't say good morning. You cannot say anything. You cannot write anything. They take your phone away at the beginning. You cannot read anything. So essentially, you're with your thoughts. And when I first heard about it, I'd, I'd heard about it a few years back. I'm like, there's, there's no way I'm going to last. Right? Like, I love talking. Talking to people gives me energy. So I love interacting. I love communicating. I love talking to people. I'm like, 10 days of not talking is just going to be impossible. Um, but it was relatively easy. It was easy. What was more difficult was they had a bunch of exercises around sort of, you know, observing yourself, observing your thought process, calming your mind down. I thought those exercises were much more difficult than the actual not talking. Like it was weird for the first day or so. But then, you know, the human body is freaking amazing. You get used to it. And before you know it, 10 days passed. It was awesome. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a benefit of that. So when I come back, any, anyways, I'm a pretty calm person, right? Like I, I don't really get, get annoyed or angry easily. But after I came back from Vipassana, if I ever found myself getting angry, I could actually observe myself getting angry. And I could, there was a point where I could decide, do I want to continue being angry or do I want to stop? And that was so powerful because like even at that time, the kids were young, right? And they would sometimes do stuff that was annoying. But I would, I would know I'm getting angry. And I had the choice to say, hey, listen, it's not worth it. Let's not get angry on, on this thing because it's small or trivial. But that amount of control over the emotions was pretty awesome. Of course, I've, I've lost it now, <laughs> but I need to go back. And not now you just get angry me. all the time, right? <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, I'm angry right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, if this is you angry, I, maybe, uh, perhaps I can uh, hypnotize you. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, yeah. I remember you telling me that story and it, it, it sounds like though it's with practice and even a short amount of practice, you, you can almost like short circuit a lot of these pathways that are built in our mind, right? Where we don't even think about it, um, whether it's anger, whether it's nervousness. Like I, I talk a lot about this, um, you know, and I plan to in this, this podcast, but as well uh, with folks one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one is, it is short-circuiting, 
uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these processes that are built in. Uh, I think new age, they call it mindfulness mm-hmm. um, or a lot of other words for it, but it, it is being aware that something is happening, right? When you have this bubbling up of yeah. like energy right here, that's, that's what you call anger, right? For some people. And it's being aware of that for you. So, so and, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, you know, carry on. Though that sort of takes us back to, you know, we were talking about going for a walk or um, like Bill Gates, for example, he loves um, washing dishes, right? Like he, he does the dishes in his, in his house, but it's essentially taking a pause from the day-to-day life and reflecting on, you know, what the day was. And you'd be surprised at how many behaviors a subconscious, like we don't even know we are doing stuff till we sit and reflect on that. And, and then you go, oh my God, you know, maybe next time I won't react this way and be more mindful about stuff. So you're absolutely right, Dave. Yeah. And, and I, I love that story. At the same time, I'm going to call BS, you know, one of the richest men in the world, billionaire, he washes his own dishes. Like <laughs> it doesn't have a dishwasher, right? Uh, <laughs> Get him, get okay. him on your podcast uh, next, Dave, and ask him the question. Uh, I know, I know. We'll we'll, we'll invite him here next. Uh, it, so you 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 talked about a, a uh, your your time in Mumbai, mm-hmm. right? Growing up, uh, talk more about that. Like, how, how did that growth experience growing up there? How did it shape you? Um, so Mumbai is a city that you either love or you hate. Like you cannot really be in between, uh, especially if you're not a local, if you're not, not a native of Mumbai and you're visiting, uh, you would either just fall in love with that city because of the sounds and the smells and, and the sights. It's, it's just incredible. Or you would sort of say, hey, this is too chaotic for me. I, I, can't, I can't really be there. Growing up there, it was one of the best cities to grow up in, uh, Dave. It's so multicultural. You, I, I know six languages. Because I grew up in Mumbai, because you know my my neighbors and and the people across the street and people in my school would be from different backgrounds, and one of the beauties of India is you go for a few kilometers and everything changes. The cuisine is different, the colors are different, the the language, the dialects are different. So growing up, it was extremely exciting uh, to be in Mumbai. Uh, it was just before the dot. Like it was when the internet was starting uh, that I was in, in college. So it was a really exciting time, you know, technologically as, as well. But it really made me the person I am today, right? And it uh, gave me access to a lot of people, a lot of resources, uh, which and a lot of lessons, to be honest with you, which live to me to this day. What are, So you, you know six languages, yeah. right? And you've multicultural, you, you drive, you drive a few kilometers or a few miles out and you're in a different mm-hmm. cultural center, basically. Yeah. It, it sounds like the story of like, I I've known folks growing up in Europe like Switzerland and, yeah. uh, uh, and, and such. And, and they, they talk about the same thing and a lot of them are multilingual as well. And I, I think it's one of the things actually, uh, um, we don't have here in North America because we're so spread out and, you know, it's pretty, it's, it's not the same. Let's put it that way. Right. So I guess like just living in that environment, um, how's it translated to some of, uh, you know, the ways you think today, like, how do you, how you approach things, how you, how you look at the world? 
it's it's all it's it's always about the community first. Like growing up in India, it like I I feel over here when when you think about you know yourself and your community, certain places and certain times and rightly so, the focus is should be on you, right? Like what what are my needs? What what do I need? In certain contexts, in certain places, the focus should be on even if I have to make a sacrifice. It's okay because I'm doing it for the greater good of the community, for the greater group, you know, the greater good of the group. Uh, growing up in Mumbai, uh, it's always about the group, and which is a great thing, but it can also stifle yourself, right? Like it could stifle your growth as a person because you're not you're you're constantly being taught to make sacrifices for the greater good, and there's a there's a cultural reason and a cultural context behind that. When I came over here to North America, I, I've, I've been here for 20, 22 years, but it was it was empowering to see that it's okay to say no to certain things because they get in the way of my personal beliefs or my personal growth. And I am important as a person as well. So I think having grown up in, in sort of both scenarios, making up a blend of the two and a balance between the two has been incredible. So there are times when it's okay for me to say no and and you know uh, i i don't know if it's similar and i'm sure it's similar in many other cultures as well but for example as as a son and a, you know if your parents say something you just do it <laughs> right even if you don't mm -hmm. want to do it yep versus um, over over here i can sort of say hey and i can hopefully i'm teaching my kids as well to you know they need to think about what's important for them as well and then help have a dialogue right like it's not Hey, you're just doing something because I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, but it's, it's the balance. You cannot go on, you know, you cannot swing the pendulum towards one end too hard because then you lose everything else. So you need to find the right balance between individualism and doing stuff for the community. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and, you know, you say a lot of cultures, it, it's, um, it, it is very different. Like my, uh, I, I'm a I'm a child of, of immigrants as well, right? Coming from a you know the Chinese culture is, it is very much about uh, you know res the good things is, is respect your elders. That's mm -hmm. something that should always be there. You know, respecting other people, uh, respecting the community, helping others, right? Um, family first, right? You 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 help your family, um, you know, and always first, mm -hmm. right? But you're right. To what point? You know, to not not it should not be at the sacrifice of your personal ambitions, mm -hmm. right? Your personal growth, right? And I, I think that's the that's the balance that a lot of us have to draw in, in lives, right? And then there's the uh, the other extreme, right, Abbas, where some folks grow up in environments, um, not even cultures, it's environments where it's all about yourself, right? Right. I've had friends uh, growing up. The most shocking thing to me, actually, when I was a kid, um, I remember saying, "Oh." I go, to, I go to school, I tell my friend, like, oh, I'm so tired after this mm -hmm. holiday. And she was like, why? I go, well, you know, one of my, you know, one of my family members was in the hospital. And so I had to be there with them. Yeah. And their response was, why don't you just get someone else to do it? And I, you know, I nearly knocked them over the head, mm -hmm. right? Like, wow, that's, that's your values, right? Um, so values is... Uh, it changes along the way, right? But hopefully that person changed yeah. <laughs> as well. But it's uh, it's it's one of the things that has stuck with me as well. And it seems like it sticks with you, right? Um, 
I, I am interested. What are your values? So values, as you mentioned, change over time and values also change depending on um, the context. So if you ask me what are my values as a leader, for example, they may be a little bit different than what are my values as a parent or what are my values as, as, as a friend. Some of, there are some which are constant no matter what you are because that's who you are as a person. But then you put focus on certain values based on the, the context it's in. So if you, if you ask me, hey, as a leader, Abbas, you know, what are some of the values? I would say uh, three really important values that I think all leaders should have. One is uh, transparency. I think people trust leaders who are transparent. People trust leaders who, 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 who they feel they can trust. And transparency, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that, is, is a really important uh, aspect in there. People should feel as a leader, you're talking about the same thing when they are in the room as when they're not in the room, right? So if, if you're one of those leaders which will you know, give you great feedback on your face, but as soon as that person leaves and you're doing their performance appraisal with someone else, you're giving them something else, you know, you, you've sort of lost trust as a leader. The second value is empathy. So as a leader, unless you can empathize with what your team is going through, uh, you know, um, Unless you're empathetic uh, about the team, um, again, you're not you're not really going to be very successful, in my opinion, as a leader. And the third one is, <clears throat> and we spoke a little bit about this uh, early on, is a Japanese word called uh, word called ikigai. So ikigai is a state of being where <clears throat> what you do, what you're good at what you can use to make money and what the world needs. So if you think about four big buckets, what am I good at? What the world needs? What can I make uh, money for? And is this something I enjoy? Like when all those four buckets come together in this amazing stars have aligned form, that's a state of Ikigai. And when you are in that state of Ikigai, magic happens. So how, how do you sort of not just put yourself in that state, but how do you help your team get to that ikigai uh, really is, is one of the things I strive for um, as, as a leader. Talk to me more about ikigai. I've, <laughs> I've heard about that. It's, it's, it sounds like it's a Venn diagram, right? Yeah. So it's, um, as I said, it was a, it's a Japanese word. And if I can take uh, control of the screen. Yeah, please I'll, I'll, take control. I'll share this with you. So this concept has been around for a while and essentially um, it's, it's extremely powerful, especially when you start thinking in terms of these four big buckets. So the first one is what, what do you love, right? Like if you're doing, you know, if, if you're doing what you love, you're, you're not working a single day in your life because you're doing what you love. So what is, what is it that you love? Pair that with what the world needs. So for example, I may love watching TV, which is great. But um, is that really what the world needs? Maybe, maybe not so much. Maybe, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for. So again, you know, maybe, maybe I love sitting at my desk and watching sunsets, but maybe I'm not getting paid for that. And then the last one is what you're good at. So when these four buckets sort of intersect, what you love, 
what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at, the intersection of all these buckets is what's Ikigai. And many a times you will not, there won't be a perfect marriage of all four. Like you may, for example, what you're good at and what you love, that's your passion, right? You're good at it, you love it, that's your passion. So there's passion, there's mission, there's what's your vocation, what's your profession. But if you're lucky enough to be in this place where everything comes together and the universe has sort of, you know, sung this symphony for you, that's the state of being an Ikigai. So what's your Ikigai? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm so blessed, Dave, doing exactly what I, what I do. So working with a team of really talented individuals, helping customers find value in the software we bring them, being paid for it, and hopefully I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> so I am in the state of Ikigai right now. I am doing what I really love. I'm doing what I think, you know, it's, it's more than just me. It's something that I'm bringing value to the, to the world. Um, and, you know, I'm getting paid for it and I'm good at it. So uh, what I'm doing right now, I feel I'm very, very close to being an Ikigai. Okay. Well, we'll jump into that in, in, in a few minutes. I, I am curious, though. Um, you know, when you look at Ikigai, it sounds like it's also f about finding purpose, right? And this is one of the themes, uh, even from my last podcast was, um, purpose, purpose while you're working, purpose while you're at home, purpose while you're in, uh, you know, in retirement. It's, uh, it's one of the, uh, key factors that determines how, mm -hmm. your, your longevity and your health and your vitality mm -hmm. as an individual. So how do you continue finding purpose? in what you do and how you do? It's, it's easy when you start thinking about it in, in terms of more than just yourself. So for example, my purpose is in the success of my team, right? And my purpose is in the growth that the people around me are, 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 are sort of having and the part I play in that growth. So for every person, purpose will be different. And everyone needs to sort of figure out what, you know, what is it that moves them? What is it that, that's their purpose? For me, success of the people around me is my success. So it, it's kind of easy because now, you know, even though my, light, my name is not in lights, even though my name is not on stage, if my team's name is on stage, I'm the happiest cheerleader. I'm the one who's smiling year to year because I feel like my purpose has been fulfilled because I've played a small part in helping them get to where they are. So as a leader, again, like I think when you think about, you know, one of the qualities of leadership and, and even one of the cardinal rules of hiring, you hire people who are better than you. You hire people who are smarter than you, right? You surround yourself with people who are, who are, who are better, better than you in, in, in as many ways as possible. So if your purpose is, hey, I'm going to hire this really solid group of people and I'm going to help them live their best lives possible, it becomes easy because you, you see your happiness reflected in their smiles and you see your happiness reflected in the accolades that they get, right? Well, it, so it sounds like it's a, a group of very lucky individuals on your team. I don't know, man. I'm I'm lucky to have them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, and truth be told, like uh, you're you're you really feel that their success is your success, right? And that's ultimately. Uh, and uh, I I brought this up in the last podcast too. It's you know when 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 you leave, you're not going to be doing this forever, 
when you leave this this rat race, mm-hmm. no one's really going to care what your what your role was, what your title was, how much money you made, but people will remember what you did for them and how you made them feel along yeah. the way. And mm-hmm. and you know, I, I reflect on myself too. Today, I I still just remember the people who along in my journey helped me be successful. And I mean, that's why we're talking, right? Um, you, you made a mark in, in my, in my journey as well, you know, big or small, you know, it doesn't matter. You made a mark. And so these are the people we remember. So I do want to transition a little bit to uh, your family. Uh, so you talk about Ikigai from, uh, and purpose from the purpose of, from the point of view of your, um, your work, but mm-hmm. what about your, your family, your kids, how, how do you how do you apply ikigai purpose right to your family life Dave if you think work is hard and you know this you're a parent as well bringing up kids is 10 times as harder right like there's so much more responsibility on your shoulder as a parent and we should get paid for that I know I know like I'm like who <laughs> and, and, and there's this constant struggle between how tightly you want to hug them and how much you want them to sort of push them out of the nest so that they can fly on their own wings, right? So mm-hmm. there's a part of you which is like, hey, I want to be this, I want to protect you from all the ills of the world. And then there's this other part of you which says, hey, I want you to live that as well because that's going to be your lived experience. That's going to make you stronger. And there's this constant struggle between what's the right balance between being, being here when they need to and you know, overdoing it. So the ikigai as a as a parent for me is is exactly that balance, right? It's that balance when they realize that they have the freedom to do what they what they want, as long as hopefully they are being responsible about it. But at any point in time, no matter how old they are, like my elder one just started university, so he's now, uh, you know, he's living by himself uh, in in residence. But at any point they need, we are, we are here to help them, right? That we are here. And hopefully our, our, the values that we have as a family live on in them, even when they are not with us, right? Like they're not doing it just because they are with us. That's the value that they've been passed on. So one of the things, for example, just to take a very tactical example, is traveling. Like I'm a big believer that when you travel, you learn a lot more in a week of travel than you would learn probably, you know, in, in a week at school, right? Uh, and and mm-hmm. of course, schooling is very important. And you know, I'm I'm not dissing it in any way. But I think there is, you know, like when you travel, you, there is a lot of learning to be got in that as well. So maybe around ten years back, my wife and I sort of sat down and decided that we'll we'll travel to one country for every year of our lives. So every year we live, we'll sort of you know see see a new country. So we had around forty countries now, but I was. You know, we, we were having this random conversation with my son and he was like, that, that's such a great goal you had. I want to do something similar as well. And I'm like, great. I think I succeeded as a parent because I passed on some of the things that I think are important to me that he mm-hmm. individually decided were important to him as well. So really, Ikigai is, is, that, is that balance, uh, Dave. Balance is everything. Like if you, if you go to the extreme on, on anything at all, right? Like that's where trouble starts. There was this, there was this uh, guru um, uh, in Mumbai who I used to sort of uh, listen to sometimes. And he said, excess of anything is poison. 
when you have mm-hmm. excess of anything, it's it becomes poisonous. So it's finding that that moderation, it's finding that balance, which is really really important. So balance, so balance. How, how do you let, let, let's let's start flowing into some of your your professional life then? How do you balance, you know, the demands of home with the demands of leadership? It's 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 a team effort, Dave. Like my, I'm I'm blessed to have a really awesome spouse um um ho- hopefully she listens to this uh, because i she you know she uh she she should and um uh, she's she's been awesome and i wouldn't be able to do the things i do without her taking on some of the responsibilities that she has taken on so it's it's my spouse it's it's my kids it's you know the the family it's it's everyone around so every time you see and i think you mentioned this at, at the beginning you see someone who's you know, who's successful, there's this entire team of people. Like we, we talk about Steve Jobs many a times, right? And we are like, Steve's this awesome visionary. But you read some of the the accounts and you'll realize there were so many talented people who were sort of feeding him a, lo- a lot of things, right? And his genius was sort of recognizing the right things and then putting all his weight behind them. But there was this team, right? Like you can never be successful. You can never... Well, unless, you know, I don't know, you win the lottery or something, but uh, that's another argument. But it's it's the team, Dave, and it's finding that support structure, finding the right mentors, finding people mm-hmm. who we can learn from, and then leaning on them. Like, there's no shame in leaning on people. There's no shame saying that, hey, I, I need help. Like, many times people feel that if I put up my hand and I say, I need help, I'll be thought of as weak. Putting your hand up and asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because you're recognizing that you need something which you don't have and you have the confidence to ask for help. And more people should ask for help when they they need it. So I I know I touched upon a bunch of threads over there, but uh, hopefully that sort of answered your question. No, that is is very important. And uh, you you got me thinking about myself too. Like one of my values is uh, it is family. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up, I grew up with, you know, four, four other siblings, mm-hmm. relatively big, you know, bigger family. And, you know, one thing you, you did for each other was just help each other. Right. And that translates to leadership as well. And, yeah. you know, I, I understand that, that constant struggle or balance you're trying to make as a leader. Like how much do you, uh, and with your kids, but like how much do you let them go? Right. And do their thing. And how much do you help them? Mm-hmm. And, it needs to be both, right? You just got to make sure that if you let them go out to do something, whether it's your kids or your your team, that they're not going to hurt themselves, yeah. you know, proverbially yeah. or literally, right? Um, it, it It's enough that if they do make a mistake, it's not going to hurt them in, in a bad way, It's but it's going to be a, a lesson well learned, right? And some folks, you just let them, you got to let them trip over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it might be. But yeah, yeah. the teamwork part, um, I, I couldn't I couldn't do any of this stuff. I wouldn't be here if uh, without my spouse, without my wife, without my family, my parents. Right. Um, it's it's tough. Right. Like I, I talk a lot about it with friends. Uh, um, when my son was born, we did a lot of this. Uh, my wife and I, we didn't have much help at the time because we we're out in a different part of the city away from family. And uh, it was a paper, rock, scissors a lot of mornings when when my son was sick. Because he was sick, getting daycare germs. We got sick because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. And it was paper, rock, scissors. Who's less sick? Right? 
who needs to stay home today? Who needs to go in today? And very fortunate. I had a, a understanding bosses in, in my, in my time, mm-hmm. but it, it, I tell you, it was rough. It was absolutely rough. Um, so teamwork, teamwork. Um, let's talk about, uh, your leadership path. Like what, what got you into leadership of us? Um, I fell into it, to be honest with you. Uh, I was, you fell into it. What's that mean? It was at Bell. Uh, so uh, for those uh, who don't know Bell, uh, Bell's one of the largest telcos uh, in Canada. And I was a product manager for them. And uh, my manager at that time uh, wanted to try something else. And they said, hey, you can you can really try something else till you have a replacement for yourself. And he turned around and said, hey, Abbas, do you want to do what I'm doing? And I'm like, sure. And that's how I started being a manager. Like it, it, it was, this was maybe 15, 16 years ago. And at that point, I, I, I thought I would be on a path to be like, you know, uh, a, a sort of distinguished engineer or, or something like that, like an, as, as an IC. Uh, but I fell into management uh, because he wanted to do something else. And I discovered I loved it. It was my key guy. It was, it was something that, you know, uh, married my love for coaching, my, my love for seeing other people succeed, my love for hiring to bring in the best talent uh, you can into the organization. And uh, I've not looked back since then. Mm. What, so, you know, when, when it came to like this, this uh, boss of yours who saw, saw something in you, they saw something in you, obviously. What do you think they saw in you at the time that made them say, Hey, you want to do this job? Uh, I don't really know, Dave, because it was not something I was consciously sort of exhibiting, but I've always been someone who's, you know, who people will go to and sort of brainstorm with, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think being a leader is so much about being someone who people can trust. Like in, in my mind, I've seen different styles of leadership, right? Like there's this one sort of stern style of leadership where, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the captain of this, I'm, I'm the master of this domain and my word is the word. I don't really care about what the minions say. And that's a type of leader. And, you know, in certain places, maybe that, that works. But the, the, the kind of leader that I aspire to is someone whose people can just come to me, like just day before yesterday, I was on a call and we have some uh, an, an early in career team, so people who are just out of college. Uh, we we sort of went through maybe fifteen minutes of chatting, and then she sort of raised her hand and she said, "Yeah, I I, I think we are doing we are thinking about this completely incorrectly." And I admire her because it takes a lot of courage, but I also admire the leadership. She had like three levels of leadership in that room, and I admire all that three levels of leadership because she wasn't afraid of voicing her, and so openly. Her, her, her feedback without worrying about, you know, hierarchy or, you know, what's the chain of communication. So being, being someone who people can go to being someone who people can trust. Like, I think that's what, that's what he saw in me. And he was like, Hey, you know, I, this sort of sounds like a leader. It, it looks like a leader. So maybe he should be a leader. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a duck. Quacks like a duck. <laughs> yeah. so, 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 so that's how it happened. My, 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 like, I, I honestly, when I was growing up, I wanted to be a professor. 
So my mom's a professor, my dad's a professor, and that's what I wanted to do. Uh, when I was in India, I used to actually teach at the University of Mumbai as well. I didn't even know what solution consulting was till I became a solution consultant. So again, the reason I sort of share that is, especially for people who are early in career, like don't get too obsessed with, hey, this is this is my path for the next 20 years. That path is going to be, the, the, the battle is not the plan, right? You could have the best plans and then but the battle happens and things change. So I grew up trained as a mathematician. Like when I did my bachelor's, I was, I did my bachelor's in maths because I wanted to be a, a professor of maths. And I haven't seen a Fourier series in 25 years now. <laughs> so the, the way life sort of takes you, the, the, the universe has a better plan for you than you have for yourself. The universe had a plan for me, Dave, to become a leader. And here I am. Wow. Yeah, it, I, I, I love, I, I love what you said there about, um, you know, you got a plan, but don't be so tied to it. It, it reminds me of like, uh, I don't know if you actually said this, but Mike Tyson saying, yeah, everyone has a game plan until they get hit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, um, but I think that's, a. That, that's one, isn't that one of your uh, philosophies in life too? Something about planning, you know, you need to plan, but plans don't always work out. I, I remember you saying so, something like that before. I'm a big believer in setting goals because I think, so I, I, I read this stat somewhere and like all stats, probably this one's wrong as well, but it was like 90% of people don't have a goal. 10% uh, have a goal. Of the 10% who have a goal, 1% actually write down their goals. And 90% of success comes to that 1% who write down their goals. So writing down your goals, is, and, and sometimes people confuse a goal with a plan. A goal is an outcome, right? Like this is what, what I want to do. A plan is the map to get to that, to, to get to that destination. So I'm a big believer instead of setting goals, and again, to your point, goals can change. It's okay if you know you had a goal last year and that's no longer your goal this year. That's completely okay. But have a goal. Have a short-term goal. What do I want to achieve? You know, at this quarter, what do I want to achieve this year? What do I want to achieve in the next five years? And write that down and keep that keep that diary. Like keep that journal ongoing. And that way, you can reflect on yourself as you know, uh, uh, you know, in in your own personal journey as well. And also, you know, we we talk about kids. There are two ways to bring up kids, uh, Dave, there's one, which is you prepare the path for the child, right? So you have a child and you're preparing the path for them. The second way is prepare the child for the path, right? Mm. And as parents, a lot of time we try to prepare the path for the kids, but really we should be preparing our kid for the path. And as we look at, you know, like even technology, like all the changes, which AI is going to bring in our society over the next few years, a bunch of professions that we know of now will no longer exist. A bunch of professions that we don't even know of now are going to come. So when, you, when you're preparing, whether it's your child, whether it's your team member, whether it's yourself, you need to be preparing yourself on how to think, how to learn, how to evolve, how to change, how to adapt. Versus, hey, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, laying down this really well-guided path for you. And that's the path, you know, I'm, I'm going to be following. Yeah. Yeah. It, I... I love that because I, I I was just talking to my son recently. He's he's entering high school uh, mm -hmm. at the end of this year, and and 
I think one of the things he he'll he'll notice, and I I actually drew his attention to it. I go, hey son, have you noticed that I haven't said you should take this course, that course, do this, do that, right? Like other folks say, oh, do AP, do IB, and all these other acronyms. I don't know what they are, mm-hmm. and and he goes, no. I go, what, what what does daddy focus on? He's like, attitude, right? And 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 he's he realizing that ever since he was young, it's more about your attitude and your discipline, right? Um, like he's a Taekwondo black belt now. Mm-hmm. And he realized that when he got his black belt, how hard he had to work. And and then we reflected on, I go, son, you remember how many times you wanted to quit in the last you know X years? He goes, yeah. I go, aren't you glad I didn't let you quit? And he's like, yeah. Go, What'd you learn? He goes, sometimes you just have to do it. You could be yeah. tired. You could be whatever. You just have to do it. I go, yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't in any way trying to harm you. It was trying to teach you this attitude. So I don't care what you do. Well, I do, but um, mm. you got to pay the bills, right? Like yeah. Icky guy, you got to be able to get paid for what you, yeah. <laughs> you enjoy. Yeah. But at the same time, it is the, 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 the tactics, the, you know, you got your goal, you got the outcomes you want, but how are you going to achieve that? And what attitude are you bringing to the table to achieve it? That is that is something I want to leave my kids with, right? Like you could do what you want, but you're gonna have the right attitude when you approach it, right? If you want to be a singer, go. Do you have the discipline, right? Do you know how hard some right. of these these artists? Like they're out there, they're great yeah. marketers. They work hard. They yeah. work so hard, right? Some of these folks. Right. There's a there's uh, a really famous quote from uh, Serena Williams where someone asked her that you know because because she she works uh, like she works really hard every single day. So one of the reporters asked her like, are there not days where you don't feel like you know working out or you don't feel like going for practice? And she says, sure, there are days where I don't feel like practicing, but there's never a day where I don't feel like winning. And to win, I need to practice, <laughs> and that's yeah. how you know that's that's the motivation, right? So. You're right. Like at the end of the day, grit, like you'll see a lot of TED talks around grit as well. Like I think grit is a great value. Grit is a great quality to have because at yeah. the end of the day, you, you can give up. You have to try. You have to get up. You have to make the bed, right? Like you have to pay the bills. So there are things that you have to do and you need to push yourself uh, towards those. Yeah. So I think this flows well into the next thing. Like you, you talk about like lessons you've learned, you know, the mm-hmm. path that uh, has been, um, you've been preparing for now you're, you know, you're a leader, you're, you're actually a second line leader right now um, in your current company. So congratulations to that. Um, I, I am curious. Um, let's talk about failures. What are some memorable ones that you have that you're willing to share and what do you do about it? Oh my God, Dave, that's just a lot. And uh, so before I speak to failures, I'll tell you, I'll tell you another Serena Williams uh, story. So do you, do you know her personally? Can you get no, her I on this podcast? But, but okay. You're just quoting her, her and Bill okay, Gates, right? She's, she's, she's awesome. So one of the reporters asked her, this was in, you know, one of the press conferences, how do you feel when you lose? And she says, I don't lose. And the reporter says, what do you mean you don't lose? Like there are games that you've lost. Like it's, it's a fact that, that you lose. She says, no, I, I don't lose. 
And the reporter says, like, that doesn't make sense. I, I know you have lost games, right? And you lost blah, blah, blah uh, game two weeks back. And she smiles a little bit and she says, well, I don't lose, I learn. And it's such a great way of framing failure uh, because there's one way of treating failure to say, oh my God, I, I, you know, I fail and the world's going to end and the sky's going to fall and I'm, I'm a failure and you know, I'm, I'm worthless. And you could sort of go down that path. But it's not about how you fall. It's about how you get up, right? It's about how, what are the lessons you've taken from that failure and how do you make yourself and your surrounding a little bit better based on that lesson? So a, a lot of things I've done wrong, um, um, uh, you know, from from sort of hiring people who were not right for the position they were hired for, from tactical sort of mistakes in a in a legal cycle. Like I'm I'm in a sales environment, and we you know we need to make decisions around how how do you sort of tackle some of the challenges that come up uh, in in sales. From you know at that point, I thought giving up my career aspiration to be a professor and doing some, something else. At that point, it seemed like a failure. Like, hey, I, I've sort of trained to be a professor my entire life. And now, you know, because I, I came to Canada, it was, you know, I, I was a first generation immigrant over here. Um, I, I needed to do, I, I got a job doing something different. And at that time, it seemed like a, a, a failure. It seemed like, oh my God, I'm, I'm giving up something. But it made me who I am, and it sort of it's led to this talk between us today, right? So failure, like every time I fail, what I do is I I zoom out. I don't know if you if you a few years back there was this there was this um, great internet clip which sort of showed a microscope focusing ten x at every level. Have you have you seen that clip at all? So it's uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so uh, it, it's this awesome clip which sort of starts with a leaf. And at one, it starts zooming in 10x and it goes to the cells and to the, you know, the subcells and like a, at a really deep atomic level. And then they start zooming out and they go, you know, to, to the, to the, to the plant and then to the country and to the world and to the universe. And, you know, like it, it's, it's just an awesome way to sort of, if you, if you feel that particular episode has been a failure, zoom out a little bit. And say, in the grand scheme of things, how, you know, is it, is it really such a big deal? And that will help you emotionally deal with it. And then rationally, what are the lessons you're going to be taking from it? And how are you going to make yourself better because of it? Mm. So zoom out, right? Zoom out. Zoom out, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, so what, and, you know, if you're willing to share anything specific, right? Is there any specific lesson that sticks out in your mind? Yeah, like hiring, like that's a, because it, it sort of happened, you know, uh, a couple of years, years back where uh, I didn't spend enough time with the, with the person uh, I was hiring. I'll, I'll give you two examples. One is hiring someone and then one was managing someone out. So I didn't spend enough time hiring that person. My, my lesson learned from that is you could spend, you know, twice the amount of time and make sure you're getting the right hire versus spending 10x the amount of time and then managing that person out later on because you made a bad hire. So, uh, you know, we, we, we hired someone, we were in a hurry, we didn't really have a chance. Like, you know, some people, and some people are, are, are great in, you know, a, a structured sort of panel discussion or whatever, right? But unless you really know them, unless you really understand what's important to them, 
is that's you know how they define success. It's 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 very easy. It's very easy to be fooled is a strong word, but it's very easy to sort of just go to that panel and say, yeah, this person's a, a, the right fit for the job. So we we brought this person in, not at all the the right fit. And now we are stuck with, you know, how, how do we manage this person out? Because if you leave the person, if you leave the wrong person in, in place, it's not just bad for that person because clearly that person was not a good fit. It's a stretch. It's a burden that you're placing on yourself as a leader. It's a burden you're placing on the team. It's a burden you're placing on the company as well. So that's one sort of recent example where, you know, I, I sort of made a mistake and, um, you know, I, I had to sort of pay the price from it. And the lesson I learned from that is, Take your time, right? Like make sure you know the person, make sure you're identifying what's important, what their values are before you actually decide to hire someone. It's not, it's when you look at attitude and aptitude, a lot of times our hiring process focus on aptitude, right? Like how, mm -hmm. how much knowledge they have, what kind of experience they have, but you need to really pay attention to the aptitude because aptitude is, is a lot more important sometimes, sorry, attitude, because attitude is a lot more important sometimes than just their knowledge or their aptitude. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that goes back to what I was saying, like teaching, uh, teaching my, uh, my kids too, like attitude, yeah. right. Having the right attitude that, that, that inherently flows into the values that that individual will have. Now it's not going to be a one for one match. Right. But there's gotta be, uh, our values got to support each other. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if I feel that, you know, certain value, uh, empathy is important, uh, you can't be diametrically opposite from that yeah. and think yeah. that, uh, you know, a crassness is, is, uh, is important. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I know there's, I mean, this is a whole subject of its own, like how some companies, uh, hire mm -hmm. for talent, right. Uh, is purely looking at, well, you know, what's, how long you've been at school X, Y, Z and, yeah. uh, what, what jobs have you had and how many certificates do you have? And, you know what? It's not just the what, it's how. How did yeah. you get things done? Yeah. Right? How did you support the people around you? How did you make them feel? Did they feel supported? What would they say about you? Yeah. Right? Uh, how did you lift others up while you're doing it? Um, those are things like for myself that's very important, right? It's yeah. not what, it's not just what you did, it's how you did it with other people and how you engage them uh, in the process. So, so some uh, good lessons there, uh, it sounds like. Um, a common uh, mistake that uh, we all make as leaders is hiring the wrong person, um, looking at aptitude too much uh, rather than attitude. And uh, sounds like a lesson learned for you when you zoom out, right? At attitude eats aptitude for breakfast, babe, right? Like if you have to choose, always choose attitude. Even if you get, even if that means getting someone who's maybe a little less experienced in the areas you need experience in, you can teach. You can yep. teach technology. You can teach yep. that. You cannot teach attitude. So yeah, uh, yeah, and that's that's something I yes I will probably talk off camera about that or af after this is it's about that like I really believe that I rather hire someone more hung hungry yeah. and willing to go the extra mile yeah. because they want to and they're passionate versus, yeah. oh, this person's been in the industry for 25, 30 years, but there's no more fire in them, Yeah. right? Yeah. What? You, how, how are you serving yourself and others in that case, yeah. right? Um, you mentioned mentors in your life. 
talk about, uh, apart from Serena Williams, who you're very uh, good friends with, apparently, um, talk about some of the best mentors you've had and what, what did they teach you? Um, it, pretty much everything I am, I am because of people I've sort of learned it from. And one, one maybe mistake people make when they think about mentors is they'll say, you know, I have this person I really admire. I want that person to be my mentor. And that's my mentor, you know, forever and for every single thing. And when I sort of coach people, I say, you don't need to have a one be all end all mentor. You can have multiple mentors for very specific things. So for example, when I first became a, a, a manager, I didn't really know how to hire too well. And what I mean by how to hire too well is I would get through the, I would, you know, have the first, you know, like all managers, you would have a first 30, 45 minute sort of screening type interview where you would just get to know the person a little bit. And I felt I would go through the, that entire 30, 45 minutes and I wouldn't really get the information I, I needed from that person to make sure, like, should, is this a person I want to go down the path with and, you know, explore a little bit more in detail. So I was really bad at that initial screening thing. And I thought to myself, who's who amongst my universe is really good at that? And I asked that person to be my mentor for that specific thing because he was really good at it. So you could have multiple mentors and you should have multiple men mentors and don't put too much burden on each one because you could just have them for specific things. So that that's number one. So I'm a firm believer. Like I think at any given point, I have two or three people who I ask to be my mentors. And when you ask people, you'll be surprised. Like a lot of people say, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm putting a burden on, on, on them. And it is, it is a time burden in, in some senses. But a lot of people really love and enjoy being mentors as well. So I've never, I've never ever in my 23 years of professional experience, I've never ever asked someone to be a mentor. And that person has said, no, I don't want to be a mentor. So people hmm. will say yes, right? Like people will want to be mentors. Um, maybe I'm, I'm just lucky to be in, in companies where that was the culture, but, but ask for mentors, like stand on their shoulders, discuss stuff with them. Uh, and don't just have one, have multiple people. The other mistake a lot of people sometimes make when they're asking for mentors is they're asking for mentors who are in a similar work environment, a similar team. Like they'll ask for mentors, you know, in, in, in their team, which is okay. But also try to expand your universe and ask for people to be your mentors from teams, which are not, which are not the ones you normally interact with because they bring such a different perspective or different way of thinking about it. And every, every, every perspective is growth. So you will learn a lot from them as well. So as for, I've, I've, my personal belief is ask for a lot of mentors, ask them, you could ask them for specific things. You could have a general mentor that you're going and brainstorming about stuff as well. Uh, but, but don't, don't try to do it alone. Like you, you learn so much from all these different perspectives, which you just, it would be impossible for you to learn by yourself. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Abbas, like to add to that, I, I think it's really important to find people outside of your company, outside yeah. of your industry, uh, folks who are uh, just honestly, they have nothing to gain yeah. from mentoring you, uh, like, yeah. um, from, uh, uh, helping you except for themselves. Yeah. Right. Um, like my, some of my mentors, like folks who are uh, retired folks who uh, worked, used to work in um, uh, medical device industry, right? right? Used to be an executive there. Another person who used to, you know, retired professors. Um, another person who, uh, you know, 
you know, used to be a therapist in there, you know, that's a, what yeah. a great mentor, yeah. right? Like they've, they've dealt with a lot of things and it's like, Hey, you know, I know you from my network and can you help me with a few things? Um, such a diverse group of people and every single person you'll you get a nugget, just yeah. one thing. Yeah. And sometimes it's just that one thing that is life changing, right? At the moment in the context, right? So mentors, Right. That's a, that's the lesson here. Uh, and it's such a, such a superpower you have Dave, where you, where, you know, you ask people to be your mentors and a lot of people don't use it because they are afraid that people, and maybe they'll say, no, okay, let's move on to the next person who will say yes. Right. But a, I don't think a lot of people will say no when you ask them to be your mentors. And so, so you need to get out of your own head and you need to sort of just, just go ahead and, and ask and you'll yeah. be surprised at how much you learn. Yeah, it's when you ask for help, people are willing to help. People are willing um, to. I think you, yeah, exactly. You'd be very surprised. Um, yes, you know, just with all the lessons you've learned, um, you said twenty-three years in the industry, and you know where you are now. If you had to go talk to the twenty-year-old Abbas and whisper in his ear and give him advice, what would you tell the twenty-year-old self? Uh. Emotional bank. I don't know if you know what I mean when I say emotional bank, but I believe, I believe um, all the people we interact with, we share an emotional bank account. So you and I share an emotional bank account, right? And I need to put deposits into that account before I start taking withdrawals. So mm. as you're thinking about the people in your universe, start building that emotional bank account, start putting deposits in, in that account. Because the first time you interact with someone should not be when you need their help or should not be when you're in crisis. And now, you know, there's an escalation and you want to work with them. You should be building relationships. My, my one advice to my younger one, uh, my younger self is that everything is about relationships. Everything is about the network, right? You will find the right jobs, if you have the right network, you will find the right answers if you have the right relationships. And the way to make those relationships is an easy way to visualize it is through this emotional bank. What are you putting? What are you depositing into that bank? And hopefully if you if you have deposited and sometimes, you know, you may have an overdraft and you're withdrawn before you deposited and sometimes it's OK. But try your best to put money into that or put whatever effort into that account before you ask uh, to withdraw from it. And the more you do it, the more successful you'll be. Mm. So the more, so it, it, it sounds like the analogy of like, put your own mask on before you uh, put others mask on. Is that right? Kind of, kind of. Right. So for example, when, when it's, it's, it's you and I, and I'll, I'll just sort of say, say, you know, you use that as an example. So you and I have, have this relationship that we've been, you know, we've been sort of sharing for, of, almost 10, 10 years now since we know each each other day, right? And mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, every, every time we talk, you give me some some nuggets of information. I give you some nuggets of information. We, we share fun stuff and we're building our relationship that way. And now if I need help from you, you're more likely to help me because we have an established relationship versus, mm -hmm. you know, you were just David Fung, you know, who, who's at Salesforce and I, I didn't really know know you that well. And now I pick up my phone and ask you for help. So when you are working like as SEs, for example, when you're working on an, on an account, 
what are the things that you're doing for that customer before you ask that customer to do something for you? So always think mm -hmm. about not just customers, not just friends, not just colleagues, but in every pretty much relationship, what is it that you are doing for someone else? You know, ask what you can do for your country, not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for the person in your network, not just what that person can do for you, right? So are mm. you putting money into that emotional bank before you're asking for any withdrawal? Okay. Uh, no, I get it. It's, and it, this really sounds like it's, it goes back to like, um, your feeling at the beginning, like around community, the mm -hmm. giving back to the community. Um, I'm curious, like, I remember like talking to you before you, you were, you know, you were very involved in your community, giving back this mindset. What do you have going on right now from that perspective? So I'm going to Guatemala, uh, end of May. Uh, we are going, so I, I, you I always go, had some trip. You uh, always yeah, had some trip, like, Abbas. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, you know, when, when I look at, when I look at what, uh, what are some of the things I, 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 I enjoy doing from a giving back perspective? Uh, I, I really, I work a lot with uh, the Mississauga Food Bank uh, as an example, like especially during COVID um, and even now, like just the demands uh, that, you know, that have been placed on some of these organizations is incredible. So we do a lot of volunteer work, a lot of sort of fundraising for them. But the other aspect of this I, I love doing is there are a bunch of organizations which have uh, overseas projects where you go um, to, like I've been to Morocco, I've been to Nicaragua, I've been to Thailand, and now I'm going to Guat Guatemala. We go in this really remote, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not fancy at all. You're, you're literally living in a hut, but you're living like the locals live. The locals, you know, you're eating what they, they, they essentially cook and, and you're eating that. And then you're building some sort of a community center or you're building a school or you're building, you know, you're, you're doing something like that. Like in Thailand, for example, uh, they have a problem where, you know, elephants, once they get old, are essentially abandoned because they can't do work anymore. So there's this organization which gets all abandoned elephants together in the middle of the forest and then they take care of them. So I, I went there, I lived with them for, for a week and every day we would sort of bathe the elephants and we would feed the elephants and we just take care of of them so uh it, it 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 sort of marries my love for travel with my love for giving back with my love for hey i'm you know yes of course fundraising is important giving giving money is important but sometimes tactically doing something with your hands is important as well and this sort of helps me do that mm, yeah and then you know, perhaps uh, after after the show we can uh, provide some of the links to the uh the charities and the nonprofits that you are passionate about and uh and, uh, you know, to use this platform as a way of, uh, you know, helping them out uh, further. That's yeah. good. There is a there is a great organization called Ask Foundation, and they provide uh, hot lunches to the homeless people, uh, the homel homeless population of uh, Toronto and Hamilton. And they, mm -hmm. I, I kid you not, uh, we we'd gone there a couple of months back, and we sort of packed these lunches, uh, and we're like, oh my god, we have like fifty lunches, right? And they said, okay, you may have to go to three or four different places because you know you'll you'll probably need to go to three four places to distribute them the first spot we went to 50 lunches like literally 5 minutes were over so there yeah. is this there's this hidden need right like sometimes you don't even see the need but there is this hidden need there is this you know so yes absolutely i will share uh, some of the links for you and if the listeners 
you know, if you want to get involved in any, any way, reach out to me as well, or reach out directly to those organizations too. Yeah. Yeah. And then what I like about these organizations too, like it, it's tangible. Like when yeah. I've worked at the, uh, done stuff at the food bank, it's tangible. Uh, the place I'd like, uh, to, you know, both volunteer, but also donate to, uh, on a regular basis is the furniture bank here yeah. in Toronto. Um, my old furniture still functional. Yeah. I, another family gets it at a, you know, a very discounted price. Right. Um, sometimes even given away. Right. Um, that's, that's a cause that I'm really passionate about. And a lot of them are folks that are new to Canada who don't have the same resources. And mm -hmm. I know my parents probably, uh, you know, they, they depended on a lot of that stuff when they came to Canada. So there's a connection for me. Right. Um, but, uh, I'm very much, you know, we talk about outcomes. I am about outcomes. I, I, I like to see some tangibility of where my dollar is going, yeah. right? Not just this nebulous organization, yeah. right? Um, and the, the food and the furniture, I, I, I find tangibility there. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll share, we'll share more in the links, um, in link notes here. Um, I am curious to your point of view. Um, what do you think the world will look like in five years? <laughs> uh. That's such an interesting uh, question, uh, Dave. And it's such an exciting time to be alive as well because, you know, the, the rate of change has never been as fast as it has been, you know, in, uh, like ever. And it's the slowest it's going to be in the future, right? So the pace of change is just going to get faster and faster and faster. I know a lot of chatter around, you know, the AI and what that means from you know, not just from a technology perspective, but also what it means for us as a society, because a lot of jobs are going to be automated by AI. Uh, so how do we, what what happens to the people who are doing those jobs and how, what kind of reskilling, retraining is required for them to do other stuff? Uh, and what is that other stuff? So to, to answer your question, it'll, I, I don't even know. I don't even know. And, you know, like normally you would say, I don't know if it's 30, 40, 50 years out. It's strange to say, I don't even know what it's going to be like in the next five years, right? Like, will we have cars that are flying? Like, possibly, will we have AI that's indistinguishable from a human in pretty much every aspect? Possibly. Like, you see some of the Boston uh, robotic uh, robots, and it's incredible how, you know, they do all these crazy gymnastics, which would be impossible for even a human to do sometimes, right? And um, with chat GPT and how, how clever they are at sort of answering questions. Unless you knew, you wouldn't be able to recognize that it's not a human you are interacting with anymore. So the world's going to be, I, I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be really, really different. And um, companies need to start thinking about it, especially technology companies around how they're going to, how they're going to deal with that next wave uh, of stuff that's happening. Right. So, you know, like technology advances hap happens in waves and we are in the AI wave, so to speak. So it'll be really interesting to see how it sort of all, all pans out. But it, it's also a little frightening, to be honest with you, Dave, because uh, it's so easy to misuse some of this technology, mm -hmm. whether it's for political propaganda, whether it's for, you know, criminal uh, intents. Like it's very, it becomes, their jobs become easier because the tools that they have at their disposal are, are so much more powerful. So, you know, from a, from a, from a, what happens to the law and order situation in the country, what happens to the economy of the country, what happens to the technology that we use? Like these are really big questions uh, that, you know, 
we'll we'll need to answer at some point. It is the uh, I mean what's what's been on my mind around there around uh, AI. It's I, I don't know where it's going to go, but I know where it could uh, uh, fall yeah. down pretty quickly. And you know whatever whatever we figure out, it, there needs to be responsible use of it um, baked into it. Um, however, it is uh, you know it's kind of scary when when the Elon Musk of the world and yeah. some of those guys are saying, hey, we, we need to slow down yeah, pause. with the, this yeah. innovation. Like, you know, you know, there's a problem when he's saying you need to slow down. Yeah. And I don't think it's just purely because of self-interest from a, you know, from a capitalistic perspective. I, yeah. I think they truly see that the, the downsides of it, right? Like, you, you know, the, the deep fakes, like imagining someone could create a yeah. podcast like this in, yeah. in a snap of a finger. Yeah having you and I say, you know, atrocious things, right? That's, that used to take a lot of work. Yeah. That could be done at a scale that is unbelievable, unbelievable right now. Yeah. And so what is the responsible use we need to put, put around that? Because I, I almost see this as um, there's some mutual assured uh, destruction, you know, between different um, entities. If we don't get this under control, it's not just, you know, what you can use against an enemy, an enemy can use against you just the same. So um, that part's the scary part, but it's also it's exciting at the same time. So uh, I think we're, I think we're, yeah, we're at a huge turning point. Whatever this becomes, whatever and this becomes, and, it's going to be and, interesting. And it's it's just so interesting. And you know, like for for people who've been around for a while, uh, like I, I don't know if you remember the days where you know. PCs would not even have a hard disk, right? Like you would have floppy drives and you would have the five, five and a quarter floppy drive with 512 KB of memory. And you're like, oh my God, like that's so much space. I have so much space to do it, right? And it's like from that, like in the same generation to come to a point where you have, you know, terabytes of data, which are on a, on a pen drive, it's just incredible to see the rate of advance. And uh, exactly to your point, like, you know, we, we talk about it from a day-to-day -day and, you know, what, what people can do, but also think about it in terms of states and, and countries and how they could use or misuse some of some of this technology. And you're, you're so right. It's it's a very scary time. But also as a technologist, it's a very exciting time as well, right? Because they're like, oh, my God, this is freaking incredible. And, you know, the, the next car I have, I, I like, for example, my, my younger son, I don't really know if he needs a driver's license anymore because the cars will drive themselves. Right. So even simple things like that, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it means a lot of change for a lot of the things we just take for granted today. Yeah. I, I think dare I even make an analogy here mm -hmm. and, you know, I hope I'm proven wrong. I think this AI is as significant as when we discovered how to control the, the, the fission of an atom. Like, I think this is as significant as that because when we, you know, as a society found out how to split an atom, yeah, right, the Manhattan Project, that created, oh, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. How do we make sure this doesn't proliferate? We don't hurt each other in the process. I think this could be as significant as that. Um, I, I hope I'm proven wrong. And I hope this, uh, <laughs> I hope I'm proven wrong about that. But it could easily go that way um, it, it could. if we're not responsible. It could. It could. Yeah. And the, and the problem is, though, like, are, are we even, like, can we make changes at the rate 
changes are happening in the technology. And I, I don't really know if we can, right? I don't know if we can make changes to laws quickly enough. I don't know if we can make changes to the way society functions quickly enough to keep in pace with the with the with the speed of change in technology. And that'll that'll be critical because previously when something changed, you had you had years to adapt to that change, right? But now it's like months and days. <laughs> so it'll be really yeah. interesting. Well, it's it, it again. I, I I don't know where this is going to go, but. Um... Quantum computing is the other other yeah. side of it. If mm-hmm. you get that side of it figured out, um, it's going to solve a lot of problems. But um, imagine uh, ChatGPT four on quantum computing, <laughs> right? That is more than just an exponential growth, right? Um, you know, every every encryption uh, algorithm out there is yeah. is useless, yeah. is right? Useless. And so it's a national security problem as well. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, that's not the point of this podcast, by the way, but we did go, you know, I, I, I wanted to go that way. Uh, we went there. I asked you, what do you think uh, about the future? Um, so I'm going to give you, uh, the second last question. Okay. Okay. What question do you have? As you're doing these podcasts and I, I, I know you've been sort of doing a lot of, uh, coaching, uh, Dave, uh, the same question you asked me, like if there was advice you had to give to your younger self, to the Dave Fung, who's, you know, 20 years old, are there one or two pieces of advice you would, you would give them? Yeah. Um, I think the first piece of advice I, I would give myself and I probably would ignore him, right? <laughs> it would be an okay boomer moment. Um, but to attitude. Mm-hmm. So we talked a lot about that, but more, more so, um, you know, when I was 20 years old, um, I think, uh, things came too easily to me, uh, you know, and, and, you know, like academically and everything, a lot of things came easily to me. Um, I would see things like you talk about Fourier transforms and all that. I, I understood that stuff very easily, mm-hmm. right? Probably too easily for my own good. Um, and so I got lazy. And, um, I didn't have the right discipline, the right attitude. Um, things happened, you know, Mm -hmm. in my life and, you know, whatever those were. And I learned a big lesson about, uh, attitude and, and discipline. And, you know, it it went back to, it's funny, like some of your teachers saw something in you and were warning you, um, in grade nine, I remember my, in my yearbook, I had a teacher who's, who wrote, um, intelligence is important, David but discipline without intelligence is of no use to you. And I was at the time, I'm like, what the hell is he? (laughs) What are you talking about? You know? And that lesson came back to me as a 20 something year old. And I realized, yeah, discipline is important. Doing Mm. things, not just because you feel like it, there's things you just have to do. Right. Um, So that's probably one of the biggest lessons I, I would advice to folks right um mm. but the, the 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 second thing is just um don't take the highs too high don't take the lows too low yeah right you know you you talk about zooming out that's you know when you celebrate things are going great don't think it's going to last forever right yeah. be realistic and then when things suck it's going to end right and so you know everything that's been happening um 
whether it's good or bad, I, I'm just kind of like, whatever. It, it's okay. It doesn't yeah. matter, right? Things, uh, nature has a way of reclaiming balance. You know, it might be slower if you try to resist it, but nature's going to get its way. Natural selection will get yeah. its way, yeah. right? And so that's the two pieces of advice I would give to uh, myself, but uh, as well as people out there is discipline eats motivation for, for lunch yeah. and um, chill, yeah. chill out. Don't, don't take the highs too high. Don't take the lows too low. The good times won't last forever. Neither will the, the bad times. Yeah. You know, you got to live somewhere in the middle. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. great. Great, great advice. It reminds me of a quote I, uh, from, uh, a, a Disney, like find, finding, uh, finding Nemo. So towards the end of the movie, uh, Dory tells Marlin, who's Nemo's dad in, in, in the movie, that uh, if you never let anything happen, if you never let anything happen to Nemo, nothing will ever happen to Nemo, right? <laughs> so take take the chance, roll the dice. Like to your point, don't take the highs. You know, don't 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 worry too much about the highs. Don't worry too much about the lows. Like follow follow your heart and discipline. I think that's a really important point you made around around discipline as as well because um you know like even like as we're doing the job no matter what what happens in the morning show up right like showing up is so much more important than showing up perfectly like you may not be mm -hmm. perfect but showing up is so important uh so just show up and you know like have the discipline to sort of just just do what needs to be done uh those those are great life lessons it Excellent life lessons. Well, um, sounds like one more podcast guest that needs to be on this, uh, on the show, Nemo. So you tell Bill and Serena to take a backseat. Nemo's next. All right. Well, well, you know, uh, tell the listeners out there. So what do you got going on? Um, how, I mean, if they want to reach out to you, how, how do they reach out to you? So LinkedIn is the easiest way to reach out to me. I'll, I'll put the link, uh, uh, if you don't mind putting the link in the, in the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm pretty active on, uh, you know, on, on Twitter as well. So if you want to reach out to me on, on, on Twitter, uh, you could sort of uh, reach uh, to me over there. Uh, but yeah, reach out, reach out, you know, if you, if you need, if you need to brainstorm anything, if you need to bounce some idea, like I love hearing every time I speak to someone, I get as much from that conversation. Uh, you know, as probably the, the other person gets uh, from from the conversation with me as well, right? And uh, um, you know, my my resolution for this year is uh, start less but finish more. And mm. what I mean by that is, you know, like a lot of times you're like, oh, what are the ten things I want to do, and what are the you know fifteen things I, I I have on my plate, and you're always thinking about things to start. It's okay to do lesser things, but finish them, right? So. Start less, finish more is, uh, I have two resolutions this year. One is start less, finish more. And the second one, which is a continuation of, you know, since a few years, uh, it's, it's called say yes to fun. So as we go through life, many a times, especially as you get older and, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting old, Dave, I may not look like it, but I'm, I'm old, <laughs> but as we get, welcome old, to your twenties, welcome yeah. to your twenties. <laughs> But as you get old, you kind of become more practical, right? And mm -hmm. like, for example, you know, if, 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 if my friends say, hey, do you want to go out? I'm like, no, the kids have activities tomorrow morning and we need to wake up at a certain time. So I don't want to make it a, a late night. And practicality starts sort of, you know, becoming more important. And a few years back, we sort of said, 
hey, if someone's asking us to do something fun, we'll just say yes. And we'll figure out the practicality of that later on. And it's incredible how much more fun our lives are because of that. And it's not mm-hmm. that, you know, the practicality has gone away. Like we still do whatever we need to do, but we don't worry about it constantly. And we don't let that dictate, you know, how much fun we'll have. So say yes to fun <laughs> and then start less and finish more. All right. Well, excellent, Abbas. Uh, lessons to, to live by by all the folks listening to this and by by all the leaders out there, start less. And was it say yes to fun? Yeah. Start less, Uh, finish more, finish more. Right. And then say yes to fun. Say yes. Yes. Excellent. Well, Abbas Rangwala, I appreciate uh, your time today, sir. Awesome, Dave. This was great. Thank you for having me and thank you everyone for listening. All right, we're going to sign off for now.